Some of them have six legs, some have two, some have none, and some just roll around your floor, sucking all the dirt from your carpet. I'm talking about robots. Right. They're everywhere now. They make our lives easier. They have revolutionized the way we manufacture products and services, and we're making more of them, smarter ones, more efficient. Colin Engel, CEO and co-founder of iRobot, said that robotics has advanced more in the last three years than in the last 50. But who started it and when? What was the first robot? A playwright by the name Carol Kopik coined the term robot in his now famous play R.U.R., short for Rossum's Universal Robots, that premiered in Prague in 1921. The actual word robot is derived from the Czech word robota, meaning forced labor. The play was eerily poignant to the fears that would tickle the minds of future generations. In the play, robots were not machines per se, certainly not made of metal. They were created from a chemical compound and formed to look like human beings. The robots were strong, able to perform two and a half times what the average human worker could. In the play, robots were employed everywhere, across all fields, allowing humans to live free from the burden of work, so they could use their time to better themselves. But the robots started to realize how strong they were. They learned that they had, quote, no passion, no history, no soul. So they killed all the humans, all but one, to set an example. Termination. Kopek wrote this play, one that has had an incredible influence in science fiction ever since, over 40 years before the first thing that we would term a robot was ever built. But the term stuck. Join me on this episode as we examine the evolution of robots, find out who and what was first, what robots have become today, and maybe where it's all going. On this first episode of 2020, this first episode of this new decade, let's uncover the history of robots. I'm your host, Kristen Robine Terpstra, and this is the History Cache. Let's have a look inside. What is a robot? This question is more difficult to answer than you might think. There are roboticists out there still debating if your dishwasher is a robot or not. So it depends on who you ask. The Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers of the IEEE Robotics and Automation Society, say that three times fast, give a loose definition of what a robot is. They've purported that, quote, a robot is an autonomous machine capable of sensing its environment, carrying out computations to make decisions, and performing actions in the real world." Unquote. The IEEE admits this is a loose definition and one that could easily include things like automatic doors, thermostats, and even the cruise control in your car. Most roboticists are stricter, but the main thing to remember is that a robot can do these three things. One, it can sense the world around itself. This could be with obstacle-detecting sonar, cameras, gyroscopes, and laser rangefinders, among other things. Two, a robot can compute. Data not found. 
This can be done in a number of ways, like with a small electronic circuit, a powerful multi-core processor, or a cluster of networked computers. And three, a robot can act. This is the largest variable. Some robots can act by moving around freely or by manipulating things. Some can do both. According to many roboticists, autonomy is another big factor. The degree of autonomy a machine has before it can be called a robot is also debated. Some robots are autonomous machines, some are controlled remotely by varying degrees by a human operator, and some can run on their own without any kind of human intervention. Robots, however it is we define them, all operate in a similar way. I'm going to let the IEEE describe this for you. They say, quote, Their sensors feed measurements to a controller or computer, which processes them and then sends control signals to motors and actuators. A robot is constantly repeating the sensing-computing-acting cycle in what roboticists call a feedback loop, unquote. In other words, feedback is what makes them smart. Now that we've defined, more or less, what a robot is, let's get to the history. And to do that, we have to go back surprisingly far. The first reliable example I could find took the history of the first robot all the way back to ancient Greece, somewhere around 400 to 350 BCE. A man named Archytas of Tarentum, a scholar of the Pythagorean school and a close friend of Plato, became the founder of mathematical mechanics. And Archytas created what many define as the very first robot. It was a steam-powered pigeon. He made it out of wood and used steam to power its movements. He took the bird and suspended it from a pivot bar. From there, it was able to fly a full 200 meters before it ran out of steam. That was 2,400 years ago. How incredible is that? This is the first instance of someone inventing something that we could technically call a robot in recorded history, and it was a pigeon. That's kind of adorable. Fast forward a couple millennia to 1948, and you'll find William Gray Walter, a neuroscientist and robotics pioneer. He created two robots, Elmer and Elise, to demonstrate his theories about animal nervous systems. These were tortoise-looking robots that were programmed to find their own charging stations once they began running low on power. They were front-wheel drive tricycle-like robots covered with a plastic shell. They were crude by today's standards, but they were some of the first examples ever of autonomous robots. Then, in 1954, American inventor George Duvall revolutionized the world as we know it, creating the first ever digitally operated and programmable robot, which he dubbed the Unimit. He filed for a patent, but wasn't granted one until 1961. After one was finally granted, he and his partner, Joseph Engelberger, were able to convince General Motors to install the Unimint into their assembly line in Trenton, New Jersey. Duvall and Engelberger didn't know it, but this was going to change the world of manufacturing forever. People were suspicious of this robot, this 2,700-pound or 1,224-kilo robotic arm. But it could do things like handle incredibly hot substances, and it never complained, something the managers of the assembly lines liked. Soon, 450 Unimit robotic arms were employed for die-casting, 
Die casting is a metal casting process that forces molten metal under high pressure into a mold cavity. This was something dangerous and traditionally done by humans in assembly lines. The Unimit even made an appearance on the Johnny Carson show in 1966. Millions of people watched as the Unimit knocked a golf ball into a cup, poured a beer, and even conducted the Tonight Show's band as a maestro. At this point, Engelberger wanted to expand the Unimit internationally. Nokia of Finland were licensed to manufacture the robots, and in 1969, Engelberger signed a licensing agreement with Kawasaki Heavy Industries, now known as Kawasaki Robotics, to manufacture and market Unimit robots for the Asian market. Meanwhile, back in the States, the General Motors company had leapt ahead of its competition because of its use of the Unimit. With its robots, GM was producing a staggering 110 cars per hour. That was more than twice the rate of any other automotive company at the time. Wanting to reap the benefit these robots were giving to GM, other auto companies soon jumped on the robot train. BMW, Volvo, Mercedes-Benz, Fiat, and British Leyland all employed Unimit arms into their lines. The Unimit had a huge influence in the world of robotics, and the manufacturing industry was revolutionized. And robots soon expanded out of just the manufacturing industry. Their efficiency and ability to do jobs that were traditionally reserved for humans made them an attractive addition to many industries. And you'd be hard-pressed to find any service today that is devoid of some kind of robot. Robots are everywhere today, from manufacturing, assembly and packing, transport, earth and space exploration, surgery, weaponry, laboratory research, and mass production of consumer and industrial goods. As you can imagine, this has equated into huge job losses for the robot's human counterparts, and this is still something that's occurring. According to an article from CNBC, Robots may replace another 800 million human workers by 2030. So if you're in an industry where automation is on the rise and you see software or robotic substitutes being developed to do similar tasks to what you're doing, you might want to think about a backup plan. Humans are out and robots are in. Game over. There's no doubt that the work of roboticists in the 50s and 60s caused a jump in the evolution of robots. But another development would hit the world in the 1970s that would cause another robotics revolution. And that was the development of artificial intelligence. The robot's name was Shaky. It was the first robot ever that could think for itself and make decisions based on a pattern. Shaky was produced by SRI International. It was a little less than two meters tall and built into three sections. The bottom was a platform with wheels that allowed Shaky to move around and was equipped with collision detection sensors. They were old sonar range locators like the ones being used on big ships at the time. The middle was made up of a camera control unit and equipped with onboard logic. The top was a rangefinder and a TV camera that allowed Shaky to see what was ahead and relay that information to researchers. This section was also equipped with a radio antenna. The antenna allowed Shaky to receive commands and send out data. Shaky is the first example we have of artificial intelligence. 
And you can actually see Shaky today if you go to the Computer History Museum in Mountain View, California. All of these robots, the Unimit, Shaky, Elmer, Elise, and Architas's Pigeon, all stand out in the history of robotics. But what of the future? Thanks to the development of Shaky, we now have artificially intelligent robots that can give us information from places no human can safely go. We've gathered incredible information, otherwise unreachable, through robots about the deepest parts of our oceans, the coldest habitats beneath the ice in our polar regions, and unbelievable data about space. NASA's development of its Mars rovers has given us glimpses into completely different worlds. According to an article from NASA, they're hoping that the BRUI, short for the buoyant rover for under ice exploration, will eventually be able to search for signs of life on icy bodies in our solar system, places like the underground oceans of Europa, the frozen moon of Jupiter, or Enceladus, one of Saturn's moons. These robots are being programmed to go places far too dangerous for humans to go. It's also much cheaper to send a robot to Mars than a human. The information we get from rovers and robots will be incredibly important in helping us to make a future human-led mission to Mars as safe as possible. So obviously, robots have helped fuel us into the age of technology at an increasingly exponential speed. They have made our lives easier and more efficient. But what happens when robots kill? That's not a theoretical question allotted only to bad sci-fi movies. According to an article from Hustle, over the past 25 years, there have been 61 robot-related injuries and deaths around the world. Most of these have been in factories, and factory workers are the most at-risk population for robot-related deaths. Robots have stabbed, crushed, electrocuted, and even strangled factory workers. I'm going to give you a few examples right now, just to give you an idea of how and why these things have happened. Just be warned, it's gonna get a little gruesome. The first person ever killed by a robot was a 25-year-old factory worker named Robert Williams, who was working at the Ford Motor Company's Flat Rock casting plant. The year was 1979. Williams was one of several workers that were in charge of overseeing the plant's industrial robot, a one-ton, five-story machine that moved car parts from the high shelves to ground level, a task that was much more dangerous for humans to perform. One night, when Williams was on shift, the robot gave an irregular inventory reading, which forced him to ascend the shelves on his own. When he was halfway up, the robot suddenly struck him from behind, crushed his body, and left him there, halfway up the inventory shelves. It was the first time a robot had killed, but it would prove to be far from the last. In 1981, at the Kawasaki Heavy Industries plant in Japan, 37-year-old maintenance worker Kenji Yurata opened the safety barrier to fix a robot that was malfunctioning. The robot was supposed to automatically power down when anyone crossed the safety barrier, but this robot turned back on unexpectedly, stabbed Kenji in the back, and then crushed him to death. In 2009, Anna Maria Vital was working at Golden State Foods, a meat supplier in California. 
she was overseeing something called a palletizer robot, a huge machine that stacked boxes. One of the boxes became stuck, and when Vital moved in to fix the problem, the robot didn't recognize her as a human and mistook her for a box. It grabbed her, crushing her torso. This particular robot had actually been designed to differentiate humans from boxes, but its sensors had failed, costing Vital her life. These are just a few of the many equally disturbing examples of robot-caused deaths. These deaths do not mean that we're on the brink of some sort of murderous robot war. These robots are not intentionally killing people. A big reason for these deaths and accidents occur because the robots employed in factories are programmed to perform repetitive and often hazardous tasks, and they don't have the intelligence to detect humans outside of those tasks. So these robots don't know the difference between a human and a box or any other item it's tasked with crushing or grabbing. Some do, but as we saw in the case of Anna Vital, that programming isn't always reliable. So who's to blame when robots kill? Usually the blame falls on the manufacturers, which is what I assumed always happened. But there is some serious debate going on right now about whether or not robots could hypothetically be charged with murder, at least some say. Since robots are completely unaware about the injuries and deaths they cause, and are incapable of intent, charging a robot with murder seems, at least for now, a bit silly. If one day robots are able to have murderous intent, then we can reopen that can of worms. But for now, it seems this debate is merely hypothetical. So, seeing as they're relatively innocuous, when do we all get robots in our homes to do all the stuff we don't want to? Well, you probably already have robots doing things for you that you don't want to do. You probably have a machine that washes your clothes for you, one that washes your dishes, and even one that brews your coffee every morning. Self-driving cars, self-propelled lawnmowers, and floor scrubbers are not too distant dreams. What about robot soldiers, security guards, or robots that can help teach your kids? All of these are ideas that people have and are continuing to work on. According to a 2018 article from Forbes, a cafe in Tokyo launched service from robot waiters remotely controlled by people with severe disabilities like ALS, allowing people to do jobs they would otherwise be unable to perform. Robots are not some faraway idea. They're here already, and you probably already have one working for you in some way, depending on how you define what a robot is. In 2018, the AI company Enki compiled a report based on consumer statistics from the UK in order to identify the current relationship between robots and humans, as well as how people believed they would benefit or not benefit from the continued development of robotics in the future. I'll put this report along with all my other sources in the show notes as usual. Remember, this is only the data from the UK, so numbers may vary in other places. But some of the most interesting statistics from this report are 75% of people polled said they could envision having a robot as part of their family someday. They believe having a robot in the house could help them save time on menial tasks. 16% of people said they believed that having a robot with artificial intelligence around would give them companionship and help decrease their loneliness. 7% said they would be fearful that their partner would fall in love with their robot. Self-destruction sequence. 
60% said they believed robots would be a regular part of families within the next 60 years. 12% think it will be within the next 10 years. We've thought for a long time that robots would eventually become a part of our lives. The hugely popular cartoon The Jetsons was set in the year 2062, not too far distant. 36% of people in the UK said they feared robots could or would be hacked and used against them. 31% said they were worried a robot would take their job. And 27% said they feared robots would one day rise up and take over all of humanity and become our robot overlords. Surrender. This is not surprising given the number of movies and shows we have depicting a dystopian AI future. Then there's the concern for privacy, which actually makes total sense. And I'll quote here from the Good Robot Report, which says, quote, the smart robot of our future will inevitably be connected to the internet, and the data it gains in order to fulfill its role in the family will inherently be personal, simply by nature of the location in which the robot is being used. In order for humans to be able to trust the robot in an increasingly personal role in our families, they are going to have to be able to trust the robot and the organization that created it. Just as we have seen in our relationship with social media, tech companies, and governments, privacy will continue to be one of the major barriers to overcome if we are to truly unleash all of the potential social robots could bring to our families." Unquote. But how real are these fears, given how far robotics will actually have to go before we all have robots that are smart enough and affordable enough to invite into our homes? The draconian world of robotic overlords is probably not something we need to worry about anytime soon. And beware of clickbait on this. While I was looking for an article or a case study to see if I could find some sort of example about AI going rogue, I stumbled upon an article from The Independent that was titled, Facebook's artificial intelligence robots shut down after they started talking to each other in their own language. I thought, perfect, this is exactly the kind of scary robot news I was looking for. But when I actually read through the article, it became clear I had just been sucked in by an interesting headline. The robots, or chatbots, had been tasked with trading and negotiating with one another. They would bargain over things like hats, balls, and books, each of which were given a certain value. Their job was to negotiate with one another for the best deal. The robots were not told that they had to bargain in English, so they began chatting in their own version of shorthand. Although the researchers could not decipher everything the chatbots were saying, it was clear that the robots were still doing what they had been programmed to do. Bargain. They even displayed some of the same tactics we humans do when we bargain. For example, the robots would pretend to be interested in one particular item so they could later pretend they were making a big sacrifice and giving it up. Facebook chose to shut the chatbots down after they began using their own language, not because they were afraid of the results or that the robots were telling each other secrets about overthrowing their human programmers as has been suggested in other media outlets, but because they were looking for them to behave differently. They wanted robots that could talk to people, not just one another. So they were shut down. If I had been scrolling through news feeds and based my idea of what had happened just on the headline I had read, I probably would have been a bit more concerned. 
So when you see something that looks surprising, chances are it's just clickbait for a story that's much less sensational. I ended up not being able to find a real story about AI that caused me any actual concern. If you know of any, please send them my way. I'd love to dig into this a little deeper. So it's extremely unlikely you're going to wake up one day, at least anytime soon, and find yourself in the midst of a robot revolution. However, there is something that has been a growing concern more so than at any other point in history, and that is the loss of privacy. How many times have you been having a conversation about something only to see it pop up as an ad in your newsfeed or your Facebook profile? One of the most appealing things about AI is that it's able to gather, analyze, and combine vast amounts of data from multiple sources, and it's fast. AI can analyze data at speeds no human analyst could ever match, and it's probably going to keep getting faster as we add more hardware and get better at programming and troubleshooting. For law enforcement agencies, this data analysis can be used for things like facial and even vocal recognition software. But according to an article from Towards Science, it can also be used to find individuals without probable cause or reasonable suspicion, circumventing legal procedures that agencies would otherwise be obliged to uphold. AI can also monitor and track different individuals across multiple devices when they're at work, at home, or in a public location. This includes devices like your iPhone, your laptop, your smartwatch, your smart speakers, etc. So even if your personal data is anonymized, once it becomes part of a larger data set, AI can de-anonymize that data based on inferences from your other devices. AI can even use algorithms to predict or infer information about an individual from their keyboard typing patterns. Based on how you type, AI can predict your emotional state, like boredom, nervousness, confidence, sadness, or anxiety. It can also predict things like your political views, your health, your sexual orientation, and ethnic identity. There are things you can do to help safeguard your privacy if this stuff is disturbing to you. For example, you can opt to use anonymous networks like Tor or Freenet while browsing. These networks support end-to-end -end encryption, which means that the data you send and receive can't be tapped into. You can also use an open source browser like Firefox, which can be freely audited for security vulnerabilities, which makes them more preferable to proprietary browsers like Chrome. OS manufacturers like Microsoft and Apple have multiple backdoors where AI can come collect your data without your permission. A way to get around this, if you want to, is to use a free open source distribution like Linux. You should also probably be turning your Bluetooth off when you don't need it. According to an article from Wired, when Bluetooth is on in a device, it is constantly open to and waiting for potential connections. So minimizing your Bluetooth usage minimizes your exposure to vulnerabilities. That includes hacking attacks, which would allow any device with Bluetooth turned on to be attacked through a series of vulnerabilities. So if you're concerned about stuff like this, all you need to do is make sure your Bluetooth is turned off when you're in public and you don't need it. So it's pretty clear that robots have come a long way since that steam-powered pigeon of Architus. From pigeons, to the Unimit, to Shaky, to AI, robots have evolved to become a part of the way humanity runs. And while it may be a while before you get your own droid to go pick up your dry cleaning or help pilot your X-Wing, 
there's no doubt you're going to get to see the continued evolution of robots greatly excel during your lifetime. Like your grandparents or great-grandparents got to see the world go from horse-drawn buggies to jumbo jets, the telegraph to smartphones, you're going to see technology fast forward during your lifetime to a place we might not even believe is possible right now. If you had told your outhouse-using grandmother that in her lifetime, she would be able to sit in a chair and fly through the sky over the ocean to Europe in mere hours, she probably would have laughed at you. I know mine would have. It's kind of exciting to see that same thing play out with us. Given how fast technology is accelerating, it might all happen sooner than we think. In the meantime, maybe just use an open source browser. That does it for today's History Bite. I hope you enjoyed learning about the first robot, all the most important subsequent ones, and what the future may hold. Join me again in two weeks' time when I'll be bringing you another piece of history, better than fiction. I'm still busy working on the next in-depth series, so there may be another History Bite before it's finished, but either way, you'll still get something in two weeks. If you want to get a hold of me, you can do that at historycashpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram. If you'd like to support the show for as little as a dollar a month, you can do that at patreon.com slash historycashpodcast. All patrons get free stickers and access to the members-only feed, and the bonuses only get better with each tier. Whether you're a patron, a regular, or just stopping by today because you like robots— you have my gratitude. I know how many podcasts are out there, and I'm so happy you chose to listen to this one today. And until we meet again, dear wandering heroes of podcast land, go make some history.